Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone. Don Henderson with you. And, of course, our Wednesday edition of Sports Conversation on the Fighting Network. We've got a great group of people going to be on with us this evening. We hope we can give you a little enjoyment of the sports world. As always, Roy Cummings is in Tampa, Florida. 
Merle Reese, the voice of the Philadelphia Eagles for better than 47 years. He is in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And, of course, Roger Hendler is in Atlanta. And we'll have a guest on Daryl Ledbetter from Atlanta with Roger, with Roger Hendler. So we'll uh, go to there, and then we'll go to Washington and Baltimore for the news down there. But right now, let's go right back to Frank Carroll, our executive producer, and get a dedication before we go to Roy Cummings. Yeah, Donna, it's uh, always uh, fun to have uh, everybody on and be with everybody, especially when you good share, share some good family uh, uh, joy. Uh, as you know, uh, my daughter, Dr. Kathleen Carroll, uh, is a honors graduate or summa cum laude from the uh, University of uh, South Florida. Her son, uh, Ty, has now been accepted into the medical program at uh, USF, and uh, we are so proud of both our children uh, that are right, right there here with us. So uh, just wanted to send a shout-out to Casey and to Ty. Great job. Uh, Ty has been a uh, – uh, since he's been in college, uh, has been a uh, dean's list um, and uh, on the dean's list. He's also carried a, a side job and uh, has been shadowing uh, some orthopedic, orthopedic surgeons uh, up at uh, Largo. So uh, he puts a he puts about a ninety hour day into twenty four, and uh, <laughs> we're really proud of that. So uh, well, I'll tell you, Frank, it all comes down from the top, my boy. It all comes down from the top. You and your wife, terrific. Terrific, terrific job. Let's uh, put the big honest here. He did the terrific job. The big the jeans they got for me had Leo Ryder written on it. I was out working. <laughs> yeah, it's best suited to, to work at it, let me tell you. You got that <laughs> absolutely right, Roger. Well, let's go down to Tampa, Florida right now. Roy Cummings is uh, with us to start the show, as he always does. We'll start a little bit with the Bucks because uh, uh, a lot of uh, – conversation about the number of players the Bucks have that are going to be, uh, you know, uh, in the free agent market there that are going to have to be negotiated with. And, of course, it all starts with their quarterback, who they picked up uh, midway through uh, training camp last year and did a terrific job, got them to the first game of that playoff. And, Roy, we talked about it last week, but uh, that's going to be a little bit of a tough negotiation. But he has said many times this week in the newspapers he wants to stay in Tampa. Yeah, I think it's a mutual uh, for sure. Um, look, the Bucks uh, targeted him for a reason, thinking that um, this could be a long-term solution, not just a, uh, a one-off type thing. And I think they probably had a plan in place before they even brought him in uh, last year of how to, uh, uh, you know, looking ahead. I mean, you, you don't sign a guy hoping he's going to fail. You sign him hoping he's going to win and expecting him to win uh, and, and play at a high level, and he did. So I think they probably have a plan in place. Uh, for Baker Mayfield, how to uh, fit him under the cap and, uh, you know, uh, give him what he's, you know, give him a contract that, uh, that you know, represents his value and uh, what he's done for this team. So, um, and what he can do for it going forward. So I think that's, um, I think that's already been addressed by the team. I don't think it's a, a real problem. They, they do have some, some, some cap issues. There's no doubt about that. And they've got several, you know, expensive players, uh, who are, um, you know, getting new contracts. Uh, he's not just one, the only one. Antoine Winfield is up for a new deal. Uh, Mike Evans is up for a new deal. And these are, you know, critical players on a team that, um, you know, is, is growing into, you know, it continues to be a, 
a playoff contender and uh, possibly a Super Bowl contender, you know, if they can get the right pieces in place. So um, I don't think this is a team that's looking to subtract uh, in any way this offseason. I think they're looking to add. Uh, the draft will certainly help them there. But, um, you know, before you can do that, you got to make sure you've got uh, every, all the pieces in place um, of the guys that are already here. So I think Baker Mayfield will be a part of this going forward. I think Mike Evans will be as well, and I think Antoine Winfield will be too. So um, somebody else may have to uh, uh, take a pay cut or possibly, uh, uh, you know, be uh, chopped off the roster to make all that work. But um, I think they, I think they see those three as very, very uh, valuable players that they kind of have to have. No question about that, Evans. Boy, right, uh, you know, was ten seasons now, consecutive seasons now with over a thousand reception yards and puts them in a category where I think only two other people in the National Football League. So uh, that's going to be interesting as well. But, Roger, we'll go down to you because Atlanta made a move as well, got themselves a new general manager, and uh, Arthur Smith. Well, yeah, Arthur head coach, Smith I should is, say. Uh, yeah, Arthur uh, Smith is gone, and they brought in uh, uh, Raheem uh, back, uh, who has been around the – uh, the circuit uh, as a defensive coordinator, uh, and he was an interim coach with the uh, Falcons. And I was very surprised uh, that uh, th- that he came back because they had an opportunity uh, three years ago uh, to uh, to get him as the uh, head coach, and they chose not to. So, uh, only thing I can say see is that uh, he's really uh, changed, grown. Uh, et cetera, and uh, they really like what the, what they've heard. And, of course, the Belichick fiasco, Frank and I were talking about it earlier. We're going to talk to Daryl Ledbetter uh, later on tonight uh, because, the uh, you know, the media is just up in arms about the way uh, Belichick handled the, uh, the whole thing. But what else is new with him? You know, it's either his way or the highway. <laughs> Well, Raheem is someone, uh, Roy, you're a little bit familiar with, and, and uh, certainly the people around Tampa, Florida are familiar with. Some of your thoughts on that? Well, uh, let me say this. Uh, very, very happy for Raheem Morris to get a second chance. Uh, you, there, it's not often that you do, you know, in the NFL, um, especially when you, you know, when you kind of miss the mark the way he did as a head coach here. And, uh, you know, but um, – you know, he was – look, Raheem will tell you that you, you never turned down an opportunity like that, but was he ready to be a head coach when he was first given the opportunity? Uh, I, I think the answer to that is no. And, um, you know, it's kind of like Josh McDaniels. Uh, some teams, you know, shoot high and uh, go for these uh, – you know, go for – you go for the hot coordinator at the time, someone who's, who's shown you a little something that's that's different, but – you know, these guys all end up going to bad teams. That's why they fired their coach. It's not because they're, you know, they're, they're excelling. And uh, uh, fixing all that in a hurry is difficult to do. And so I'm glad that Raheem uh, is getting a second chance. I, I think he's earned it because not too many people will do uh, what Raheem did, which is, you know, take a couple of years as, uh, you know, as he did with the Falcons and say, okay, look, I, I can figure out the defensive side. I need to know how to work from an offensive standpoint, you know, being a receivers coach and working on the offensive side of the ball for a couple of years in Atlanta, I think that just gives him uh, a, a real uh, depth of uh, knowledge there that uh, not too many coaches 
you know, well, I shouldn't say not too many, but, but a lot of coaches don't have. Um, you know, several, there's a lot of coaches who are just really, you know, kind of one-sided. I mean, here in Tampa, Todd Bowles. I mean, he doesn't know anything about the offensive side of the ball. Uh, there's a reason Tom Brady uh, never spoke to him last year uh, and two years ago. He, he, he didn't know anything about that side of the ball. But, uh, you know, Raheem may be a specialist defensively, but at, at the end of the day, you know, he's got an idea of what's going on on the offensive side of the ball. And I think, uh, you know, he went about, uh, went about it the right way in terms of, you know, rebuilding his brand uh, and preparing himself for the opportunity to be a head coach again. And uh, we know what he can do, you know, from the defensive side. That's his strength. Um, but you know what? He's going to have an idea what, uh, what makes things work on the offensive side too. So very happy for him. I think it's a good hire. Uh, I think he's got a good team there. He needs a quarterback, no doubt about that. Um, you're not going to win without that piece. So uh, we'll see what happens there. But if he can get that piece, uh, one thing that I can tell you right now is um, everybody will play hard for Raheem because he, uh, he will put himself out there for his team. He'll, he'll definitely uh, make those guys uh, want to play hard for sure. And, Roger, the uh, Chargers took a little bit of a hit because they lost a couple of people, but Joe Hortez is uh, going to be their new general manager, and Baltimore, of course, has had tremendous success over the last few years under Harbaugh and his staff, so they're going to get a little bit of a hit there. Well, yeah, but uh, the Chargers, uh, they got uh, Jim Harbaugh, and uh, I think that that's, that's a home run, and uh, he'll be able to work with that, that quarterback, uh, Herbert, uh, uh, Hebert, uh, and uh, I think that they they have the talent, and like Roy, like you said, uh, if you have a bad team, that's why the coach gets fired. If it's a good team and you're winning, the coach is going to stay. I just want um, one thing uh, I was going to say is we do know that Matt Patricia Roy uh, doesn't it, what doesn't work either way with him, offensive or defense. So. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. I had to bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> Very good point there. Very good point. <laughs> well, so, I had lunch with anyway, one of the candidates. Kelly was was one of the one of the uh, assistant uh, people in the in the front office uh, with the Chargers for a number of years now, leading scouts and so forth. And uh, had lunch with Kelly today, and obviously he was very disappointed. He was one of the eight people that was interviewed and. He thought he was going to get a shot for the general manager's job, but it just didn't work out that way. Got to be a little lucky well, along the way, too. Oh, there, there's no oh, yeah. doubt about it, Don. You know, and uh, it's got to be where the uh, the owner is uh, comfortable. Now, um, uh, several with the Falcons, several years ago, it was that the uh, coach uh, and general manager reported directly to Arthur Blank and not to Rich McKay. Now, from what everything I've heard locally, that's the way it is again. Rich is going to be strictly running the uh, the business side and the uh, general manager, uh, uh, Fontenot and uh, the coach, uh, and Raheem are going to uh, report directly to Arthur Blank. And see, then there's also a gentleman I've mentioned uh, several times who's uh, overall the Arthur Blank empire, PGA stores, the union, and everything else. And uh, he's the uh, former president of uh, West Point graduate, former president of uh, Mercedes-Benz North America. So uh, they have uh, quite a 
uh, a group there, and Arthur's 81 years old, and he wants to win a Super Bowl before he feels that, uh, you know, he rides off into the sunset, and hopefully he will. And, Roy, uh, Bobby Babish came up <clears throat> as the head man now, and, and with the Bills, uh, he's going to step up and uh, take over as chief defensive coordinator. Uh, we'll see what happens there. What, what team is that? Bills. The Bills. He promoted the, he put the linebacker coach, Bobby Babich, to uh, oh, take right. over as as the team's now their defensive yeah. coordinator. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, what we're, we're seeing a bit of a trend here. Uh, you know, the old guard, and, and I guess, the look, the fact that Bill Belichick didn't get a job or hasn't gotten a job yet, I suppose the, the, the commander's job is still out there. You can still have that. And you never know. We can, we can see somebody fire somebody very late and hire him. But um, it seems like the trend right now, guys, is that uh, people are going towards uh, – they're hiring these younger coaches who, you know, it's their first shot at it. Uh, Dave Canales in, uh, in, 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 in Carolina, we saw that. And obviously when these other coordinators move on, like McDonald from the Ravens now to Seattle – uh, you've got a hole to fill. And so in Buffalo, I mean, you know, you groom these guys over time. And any coach who's been in position for three, four years in a in a city uh, with a team, as is the case in Buffalo, uh, you're going to have a real good feel for who can run your offense, who can run your defense, whether a guy's, you know, more than a, a quarterback's coach, more than a, a linebacker's coach. And, uh, and I think that's what we've got in uh, – you've always got to prepare for that because winning teams are going to get um, – they're going to get picked apart a little bit this time of year. Uh, the coordinators are going to get their opportunity to become head coaches. You've got to be prepared to have somebody step into that spot. And, um, you know, the Bucks are, are looking at a guy like uh, Thad Lewis, their quarterback's coach, just like in Buffalo they decided that their linebacker's coach is ready to become a defensive coordinator. So – um, no surprise, really, that this is how – I mean, that this is happening, but a little bit surprised, to be honest. Um, a lot of teams, Seattle, obviously, uh, Carolina, obviously, um, Atlanta, to, to a degree, going after young coaches who, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's a bit of a new wave in head coaches. And, uh, you know, we've seen it work in a couple of places now. We've seen it work in Miami. We've seen it work in, uh, uh, in Detroit. So – I think people are, um, you know, they're willing to take a little bit of a chance now on a guy who hasn't done it before or hasn't even hasn't been a coordinator for very long. I mean, look at Dave Canales, uh, quarterback, you know, quarterback's coach for a while and uh, uh, learned a lot, of, obviously, in, in Seattle, um, but uh, really just a, a coordinator for one year, never, you know, called plays before, but now somebody thinks he's a head coach. So, uh, we'll see how it works out. I hope you know. Hope it works out well for all of them, obviously. But I just think it's interesting that there's a bit of a trend here towards younger candidates um, who are getting their first opportunity to show that uh, they're more than just a position coach and more than just a coordinator. Before we jump over to talk about the uh, playoff games and also look forward to the Super Bowl, <clears throat> there's so many bad things written about the players of the National Football League. I think every once in a while we could uh, say something a little bit nicer about them and. Uh, the 49ers tight end, uh, George Kettle, and, of course, the Packers running back, Aaron Jones, and the Patriots snapper, uh, Joe Cardona. And uh, those three players are all up for this weekend. They'll be announced who the, uh, the player or the uh, – well, who's going to be the, the award winner for the National Football League for the 
13th annual salute to the service. So nice to say something nice about some players instead of all the things that happen during the course of the season and all the bad stuff that happens. You know, well, that's, you're that's absolutely right true. about that. Absolutely. It, it is true. Anybody who's covered an NFL team over the past 20 years knows uh, how, how hard uh, the community relations uh, group in that, you know, with that team tries to promote all that the players do do outside in the community. And a lot of it gets ignored. Um, look, when I was covering the Buccaneers, you know, when I covered the Buccaneers for the Tampa Tribune, you know, we didn't have room in the paper for that stuff. At best, you might get a sentence about, you know, somebody, you know, holding an event uh, around Thanksgiving or Christmas for the kids or something like that. Um, but, but these, look, the majority of players, uh, the stars at least, for sure, the majority of the stars on each team are heavily involved in community uh, programs that uh, are there to benefit other people in the community, and uh, and they don't get enough recognition for it. And I, I, to be honest with you, when you see as much as the NFL controls pregame shows and things like that, um, you know, the hour-long or three-hour-long, you know, Fox uh you know, uh, lead up to a to a just a regular season game. There's room in those um, in those three hours to promote some of these um, things that the players are doing, so that it doesn't become such a surprise that um, oh hey look who's up for the Walter Payton Man of the Year award. You know, the, the nominees don't come out until December, maybe late November, and by then it's hard for everybody to you know. To, to, to make it known about what that particular team's candidate did to earn that honor this year or to, to be nominated. Um, but uh, you're right. There's a lot of good news out there in the NFL. There's a lot of bad, but there's also a lot of good. A lot of guys doing a lot of good things. And um, I think uh, on the TV end, I, I think they could spend a little bit more time uh, showing off some of that stuff and uh, letting people know who, who – um, you know, who's doing the most and who's doing what they can to make things uh, better in their community because there's a lot of guys doing it and they don't get enough recognition. Yeah, and I agree. The National Football League now, we're talking about the 13th consecutive year, the annual salute to the service, and I think it was a – I think it's great. It should get a little bit more publicity than it does. You'll get a little bit of Super Bowl because that's when they'll announce the winner. So we'll get a little bit there. But, Roger, let's go to the two games now. We'll start with the first game uh, – the Rams, uh, I know you were working a little bit on Sunday, so you didn't see it all, but uh, you, you heard most of it on the radio or saw it. What do you think about the Rams game first? Well, Rams? the uh, I did get to see it because uh, the uh, park was closed, uh, you know, because of uh, the weather. And uh, but So it, uh, I, what happened is it, I thought the uh, – uh, I, I, I thought the, Ra- the um, uh, Baltimore – uh, I thought uh, it, it goes to show you now that uh, that Jackson is questionable in the big game. And uh, I thought that the Ravens were going to win that game, okay? And obviously they didn't. Now, I don't know what you fellows think about that, but uh, I, and I thought the, uh, uh, the Bills game was tremendous, and uh the uh, and then on the uh NFC uh I thought that uh it didn't surprise me that the uh, 49ers won but I think Dan Campbell again has made some questionable calls 
And I think when you're in a, a team in that situation where they have a chance to win that game, you don't let it get away. And, um, you know, you know that, that, that's the way it, it, it worked out. That I guess the two best teams, uh, Kansas City and uh, uh, the 49ers, are back in, are in the Super Bowl. Uh, and uh, 49ers haven't been gone for uh, that many years, and Kansas City continues their, uh, their big move. Uh, so uh, that's it. That's, that's the way it came out. I, was, uh, I thought the Raiders were going to win. They didn't. Uh, and uh, the other, uh, you know, game, I, I was not surprised. Okay. I, I, but the 49ers, uh, the, uh, Denver, or uh, Detroit game, uh, I thought I really wanted Detroit to win. Really? Yeah, well, first of all, um, let's take the, the Ravens and, uh, and Chiefs game. Uh, look, I always thought, I thought the Chiefs were the better team. Um, and, you know, and I said that because I thought they were the, you know, they were coming in hot, playing their best football of the year. I think they over, they clearly have overcome that, that little slump they had late in the Hello. Hello. Yeah. Yeah. Can you hear me, Don? I I can hear you. I can't hear Roy. Yeah, I can't. No, I can't hear Roy either. No, just hold on. Maybe Frank get it squared away. Yeah. Can you hear us, Frank? Frank? Something happened. Yeah. I guess you and I uh, are on the air. So, I guess we will. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll hold it right yeah, here. Well, I'll, just, since, I'll give you my quick view on it. Uh, uh, I yeah, think, uh, Roger, to be honest with you, I, I think Ron Reed uh, outcoached uh, Baltimore. I just think that uh, they had Jackson going toward his goal line instead of, toward the, instead of toward the goal line he was seeking to get to. They kept uh, – Blitzing people, they kept moving people around in the defensive line. They did all the things that Ron Reed does to upset uh, an outstanding quarterback, which Jackson is an outstanding quarterback. They do a lot of great things to uh, to upset a player like that, and they just took him out of his game. And uh, I, I I thought he he really got so frustrated by the third quarter and into the fourth quarter that you knew he wasn't going to be able to bring that team back. He was uh, too oh, conscious right. of what he too conscious of what he could not do. Yeah. Well, Spagnola did a, a tremendous job uh, on yes. the defense for Kansas City. And, and uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, – and uh, it's not a lot, but there's speculation that Andy's going to retire if he wins the Super Bowl. Uh, because, oh, uh, and I've heard mentioned, that. You know, the, the, yeah, well, here's the story. Uh, you know his son's in jail, Okay. And uh, that was that accident with the little girl, uh, yeah, you know, right. uh, that was uh, injured. And uh, his, he has, uh, I guess, well, I know he's got children. And evidently there's a grandson. And Andy feels that he should be spending a lot more time as the male uh, part of this young man's life. And, uh, you know, and when you're in Andy's situation, you don't have time. I mean, especially during a season and the extension now. 
So uh, th- that's what I have heard. I mean, Merle might talk about it. He knows Sandy uh, pretty well. And, and, and it may or may not happen. But if it does happen, I can understand it. And uh, he's a Hall of Famer. I mean, there's, there's no doubt about it. And, uh, you know, they asked him the other day about whether this was his best defense uh, ever, and he, he did, but he gave credit to all of them, and he even talked about uh, his Eagles defenses when Jim Johnson was there. He said, you know, we had really good defenses in, in Philadelphia, and, he, and he's right. There's no doubt about it. But, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. Um, I'm at the point now, uh, I just, I'd like to have Andy win. And uh, I'm not a Shanahan fan, uh, and neither is uh, Christopher the Mad Dog Russo, I found out. So, uh, but he's also not a Ravens fan. He was adamant about that today. And well, I'll tell you what was also funny. He, he uh, said that Ira recommended a, a TV show. And he said that's the first time he's recommended a good show. He said that today. <laughs> so that's that's the way I look at it. You there, Don? Roy, is Roy still with us? Yes. Okay. Exactly. Oh, we okay. lost you, Roy. My, we couldn't hear you. Yeah. Don and I my, were all by ourselves. <laughs> my comment quickly, Roy, so you get your guys because what I was going to say about the Raven about both games last week. First of all, I thought the Chiefs were the better team, and I thought they would win. I know that was probably uh, not the prevailing theory, but but that's that's how I looked at it. And then at the end of the day, what happened was I don't think Lamar Jackson was the cause of the problem. What the the, the problem for the Ravens was the fact that their offensive coordinator, for whatever reason decided to run the ball, what, eight, nine times throughout the game? I mean, I understand that they fell behind early, but at the, at, that can't take you out of your game plan. And no. the Ravens took themselves out of their game plan. So that hurt them. They hurt themselves. They basically, you know, shot themselves in the foot, um, in my opinion. I, I think Lamar Jackson proved that he, he is, you know, uh, a quarterback who can win uh, in these games. Roy, I'm sorry. Know. I'm sorry we had the technical glitch there, and uh, we'll go over some of the stuff next week before the Super Bowl gets underway. Still a lot of comment about the two playoff games, and uh, uh, I know with your expertise we get a lot more. So thank you very much, as always, for your Wednesday night contribution, and we'll get you back with us next week early. Have a, have a great week, Roy. Okay, Merle Reese, the voice of the Philadelphia Eagles for 118 years. It's joining us right now from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. <laughs> when, the, when the franchise was originated, Merle Reese was ready to go with the you microphone. Were there. Not Merle, you were there. <laughs> <laughs> I remember it well in 1933. <laughs> Merle, let's let's you know, let's do continue a little bit with the playoff games before we get to the Eagles playoff game and some of your that thoughts about the Raven game and about the 49er game and. Uh, then we'll get to the Eagles. You know, the the Raven game really boiled down to two things, Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson. I think Lamar Jackson is a great quarterback, but in some of these big games he makes a fatal mistake. I thought the, the worst mistake he made was throwing into triple coverage in the second half and getting picked off. And Patrick Mahomes in these games just seems to rise to another level. 
I've never seen a quarterback who sees the field as completely as he does. He's like having a coach on the field, and he just finds ways to make plays. He's just unbelievable. Roger? Well, you know, I agree. Uh, there's no doubt about it, Merle. And I have a couple other questions for you that, that Don and I were talking about a couple minutes ago. But I've been thinking about this uh, all day because I know I've heard you uh, on WIP and talking about you never saw a team in a free fall like what happened to the Eagles this year. And I'm thinking back, the first game I ever saw was in 1954, and I wasn't Hugh DeVore, the coach of the Eagles at that time, before Buck Shaw, back in the mid-50s? Boy, I, I don't know. The name is familiar. I remember the name Hugh DeVore, but the first coach I actually remember following, well, as a child, as a little boy, I remember Greasy Neal coaching them to the world Greasy title Neal, in 48 and 49. Uh, but yeah. Hugh DeVore, yeah. I, I, I don't know much about him. He was okay, a Notre well, Damer, I think, Hugh DeVore. I believe he was. I'm not he, sure. Well, I think that. he so was. Kuharik. Yeah, so was Kuharik. Joe, Joe well, Kuharik was, was definitely a Notre Damer. Yeah. yeah, I mean, look at when, when uh, Joe Kuharik's teams uh, were losing. You know, Joe must go, the uh, planes flying around Franklin Field. But sure. it, never, ever have we seen anything like the collapse that happened this year. And you've been there a long time, and I know you said you haven't ever remembered anything like this. Well, I, I do remember a couple of things like it. Uh, the 64 Phillies. <laughs> yeah, 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 oh, that, yeah, we are yeah. so old paying <laughs> over. And, and then the last Kotite team where he was breezing along and had uh, won almost every game, and it was the first year of, of Jeffrey Lurie, and Richie hadn't gotten the vote of confidence, so he beats the Vikings on a Monday night. And everyone said to Co-Type, boy, you're off to a great start, but uh, are, you, are you worried about your future with the new owner? And uh, Co-Type's answer was, I'll let my record stand for itself, and they never <laughs> won another game. <laughs> what what do you think about some of the moves that were made today around the league? Uh, Merle, uh, a lot of general manager changes, defensive coordinator changes, coaches changes, which is obviously – uh, natural at this time, but tell me your thoughts about some of the people that moved up or moved out. Well, maybe, maybe you're you're in tune of what happened today. I just I, the only thing I do know today, I know that yesterday uh, the Lions' offensive coordinator turned down a couple of jobs, and I think a young coach moved up into a job in with the Chargers. Is that right? Or no, with yes. Seattle, with Seattle. Seattle, yes, yeah, the youngest they, coach they, in the NFL now. Yeah, they, they picked the, they took the Ravens assistant coach. That's right, McDonald. Yeah. McDonald. McDonald. That's right. That's yeah. right. The Ravens. McDonald's the Ravens lost two people. They lost the general manager. Or the, they That's lost right. the general manager that wound up going out, and they also uh, wound up with the coach going out. So you're right. They yeah, lost the, two very I've key been, people I've in their organization. On, on those Eagles moves, because I I do think they picked up a couple of wonderful coordinators. I think that uh, by picking up Vic Fangio, the defense is going to be in pretty good shape. And also I love Kellen Moore because I think he's a young, innovative coach, and I think that the Eagles are glad to have him. Roger? Well, you know, Nick Sirianni, uh, I mean, he's the head coach, but he said that at his press conference, he's going to be like the CEO, Merle. 
And is that we're really the definition of what he's going to be, what his job's going to be? Is it still being discussed, do you think? I don't know. I, I'm not behind the, the doors of Howie Roseman and Jeff Flory's offices, but I know that the two assistant coaches, the two coordinators, are going to have a great deal of power. But I do think that Nick Sirianni is, is basically the head coach who's going to decide whether they go further and fourth down. He's going to decide the direction this team is going. He's going to decide. He's the guy who's, who's in charge of motivating this team and making sure that everybody does their jobs. But I think primarily that Vic Fangio is going to be the head coach of the offense, and I really do believe that Kellen Moore is going to be the head coach of the defense. I think the schemes will be in the hands of those two gentlemen. Mm-hmm. And we look back over the two games over the weekend, and uh, you know some of the decisions that were made, uh, Campbell certainly with Detroit when he decided not to go for the field goal. But anytime you do that and take three points, possibly more likely three points off the board, and then you don't get it, sometimes it comes back to haunt you. And uh, most of the time, uh, in my view, the, the, the coaches in a game like that, in championship games, take the points. I, I don't think you have well, to take I, a chance like that. Yeah, Don, I agree. I agree with you 100%. The only thing is you have to consider the fact that the Lions are where they were because Dan Campbell was to a fault. He was aggressive the entire season. He was really a riverboat gambler from day one. So he just stayed in character. He was the same guy who brought them there, and he wasn't going to change his M.O. in that game. Look, I agree with you. I think it was a mistake, but I I would have been more shocked if he went for the three points. Roger? Well, yeah, I, I agree with both of you. Uh, the, uh, that was just his uh, DNA. I mean, there's, there ain't no doubt about it. And, uh, uh, but I do think, you know, he made a big mistake uh, because uh, you need to get points. And when you have an opportunity uh, to get them, put them on the board. And the, and the other thing is they had a nice lead, and they should not have allowed that to get away. Now, you know, there was some miscues and, and some really s- strange plays, like the one that went off the face mask, and, uh, you know, oh, it my became a catch. And the IU yeah, fans. that was crazy. Yep. Yeah, go ahead. We, we saw two of those this year, two, two of those crazy kind of plays on the games that were televised that we saw across the country. One off a oh, helmet. So Lamar Jackson completed a pass to himself for a 15-yard game. Yeah. That's right. Uh, That's yes, exactly. exactly. And going, going back to Lamar Jackson, I agree with you in point, uh, Burrow, but I, I think that – I just think that they were outcoached. By, I mean, Harbaugh is a great coach, but I think at this game, I think he was outcoached by the staff, the defense coordinator in particular, because he well, had, Jackson going the, had Jackson going the wrong way. Jackson was going back toward his goal line 90% of the time trying to throw the ball out of traffic rather than trying to go forward and either run the ball with the option there. He had, he had very few options to really run it effectively. And well, I, right. I thought you they – go ahead. I, 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 I agree. Uh, you know, Don, I don't know if you uh, you guys listen to uh, NFL radio. I do listen to serious NFL radio. And in the afternoon, yeah, I do. Shows, yeah. Okay, I heard Pat Kerwin and Jim Miller. They do the right. afternoon show. And they came on a Monday mm-hmm. afternoon. And one of the things that Pat Kerwin, who I really respect, former Jets assistant general manager, he said, if you look at all the games, the two games, and all of the coaches involved in those games, 
the coach who did the best job of all was Kansas City defensive coordinator Steve Spagnolo. He had the right mm-hmm. formula and the right job, the, the, the right way to stop Lamar Jackson when he most had to. No question about it. Roger? Oh, there is. He, he, he was tremendous. One of the things that I've heard uh, some whispers, Merle, and I, I, was, I mentioned it to Don and Frank, uh, there's been some comments made that if Andy w- wins the Super Bowl, he may pack it in uh, because of the situation with uh, the son in, in prison. And uh, I guess there's uh, grandchildren, and he feels that there is a need uh, to have the male support in that family. Uh, do you think that that's, there's any possibility that that could happen? You know, you know well. I, I'm not qualified to talk about that because I don't know. Uh, Andy and I remain friends. We text back and forth. He never said anything to me about that. And the way Andy goes, it wouldn't be surprised me at all if they win the Super Bowl. And I honestly think they will. And that he goes on and, and maybe someday can tie Belichick or go beyond him with the six Lombardi trophies. I mean, could he take yeah. off a year? Maybe. I I don't know. But but I have no way of knowing anything about the personal situation, except I know that the uh, I, I know that he does have the son who is uh, in serving time for the terrible car accident while intoxicated. Yeah. Well, he's well, going through a, he's going through a number of problems when he was coaching the Eagles, and a number of problems now in Kansas City uh, he's tried to overcome. And uh, as you said, he's not too far behind Lombardi. If you get to Another Super Bowl win. I was a little surprised, uh, Merle. Maybe you were not uh, that they were the underdogs in the Baltimore game, and I was a little, I was a little surprised they're a point and a half underdog in this game. I, I would have thought I'm Kansas surprised. City. I, I'm surprised too, Don. Uh, but Don, but the thing that I always keep reminding myself is that the the points, uh, the odds are not a prediction. They are put there to draw the the most money from both sides. So I, I don't look at them as a prediction, and I think that the team that is the, the better, well, because of Mahomes, I mean, I don't think there's any comparison between Mahomes. There, there's, certainly, there's certainly a comparison between Mahomes and Lamar Jackson. They are both elite quarterbacks, but there's a big difference between Mahomes and Brock Purdy. And I'm not, I don't mean this to, to dismiss what Brock Purdy has achieved, uh, and I think he's done a very, very good job, but he's, he's not anywhere near Patrick Mahomes. He's in a completely different class. And while the 49ers have balance and they get a lot from Debo Samuel, and I think their defense is tough. And the other guy who was amazing to me, he's just unbelievable trying to stop him as Christian McCaffrey. When mm. all is said and done again, I think that, <laughs> I, I think that the difference in, in by, by, uh, is, is certainly Patrick Mahomes. He will win that game for Kansas City. I think one of the things you said earlier about him having the ability to see the field early, and he does. He sees the field early. He recognizes when he has to break out and when he has to get rid of the ball. Uh, he does so many things in a positive sense for his team, uh, not just completing passes, not just running, but he does a lot of things where he doesn't lose ground. He doesn't get himself in a situation where, uh, you know, he's going to be taken down 15 yards behind the line of scrimmage. Uh, those things that uh, – he pretty much eliminates in his game. Yep, he's great. He he is amazing. 
he's very, very tough to capture. Funny, isn't it? Isn't it funny that that the Eagles, who ended up uh, flaming out, beat Kansas City. They were down ten nothing at halftime, and Jalen Hurts went to work, and they beat the Chiefs in Kansas City on a rainy night. Roger, yeah. great game. It was a great game, and uh, you know we expected at the beginning of this past season that it would be the Eagles and Kansas City again in the Super Bowl, this time in Las Vegas. So our uh, predictions, Merle, did not come true, unfortunately. Well, you, you know, you know, Roger, I did three games this year where the network pundits in promoting the telecast called it a possible preview of the Super Bowl. Number one, <laughs> when the Eagles beat Miami, they called that a possible preview of the Super Bowl. When they beat Kansas City, they called that a possible preview of the Super Bowl. And when they beat the Bills, they called that a possible preview of the Super Bowl. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> it just didn't happen. No. <laughs> well, I thought the Bills were an interesting story all year. Of course, the former Eagle coach, you know him well. And I, I thought in the second, well, not only just the last five or six games because he won them all, but I think even before that when they were in the slump, he would not step back. He was very forthright, came in, and he got that team back on track. I got to give him a lot of credit. Oh, Sean McDermott is a terrific coach. He is a terrific he coach. Is. But listen, so is John Harbaugh, and so is Andy Reid. I mean, there's, there are great coaches in this league all over. You know, you can't say enough about what Kyle Shanahan does, does in, in San Francisco. Remember, they, they went uh, into a three-game slump at one point in the season. And people were starting to dismiss them, and then boom, they came right back on track. Roger. Well, I'll tell you, John John Lynch made a great acquisition a couple of years ago when he got uh, McCaffrey, oh, Christian sure. McCaffrey. I'll tell you, he is one heck of a player. I wish the Eagles had him. Yeah, but you know what? He took a chance because as good as McCaffrey is, he couldn't stay healthy in Carolina. Right. And you're exactly right, Merle. That was the key to the that was the key to the whole thing. He missed really half of the season or more than half of the season twice when he was in yeah. Carolina and that was the first thing that everybody said. Oh yeah, it's a great move. A great player, great at Stanford, didn't get hurt. He's gonna be all right when he gets to the NFL. Well he wasn't he wasn't initially, but uh when he got to, to uh, San Francisco, uh he became a, a, a sort of an injury free player. Had a little bit of a the beginning of injuries. Uh, you were talking about uh, your quarterback in in and uh, when you when uh, who who just said it just for you won fourteen to nothing. Purdy. Uh, Brock Purdy. Yeah. Brock Purdy uh, you, in you, Francisco. Yeah. How about you? Your quarterback's knee was was it bad all year or was it his leg bad all year or? What what was the situation there? Because there were always stories that he wasn't 100. percent He no, wasn't going to be know, able to play. Like he had a couple of games where he wore a knee sleeve, uh, but he threw well in those games, and they won those games. I think he was okay. I think I think the problem with Jalen Hurts was the fact that the offense, the entire offense, wasn't good enough. They didn't right. protect them. They couldn't pick up the blitz. But if you look at Jalen Hurts, he was responsible between running and passing. For 34 touchdowns, he was second in the league to Josh Allen, and he still had a passer rating of almost 90, and he completed 65% of his passes. Jalen Hurts will be fine going forward. He's a great kid. He's a great talent, but I just think that the entire 
offense was not good enough. Roger? I I think he's going to look at this as a challenge, Merle, and uh, he'll work harder than ever uh, to get back and prove himself because he's, I think he's really that kind of young man. And, he is. Uh, he is. Uh, he's special. He, 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 yeah, he is, and and uh, this was probably a wake-up call, and I think it'll make the whole team better. I just like we said with the uh, the new coordinators, and I think their whole attitude is going to be uh, different, and they're going to come back and and look at this as a challenge. But as we we know, they replace like a, a third of a team every year, so that's just the yeah, way. How do you think? How do you think Kellen? How do you think Kellen Moore is going to be when the Eagles face the Cowboys? Because Mike McCarthy got rid of him. Mike McCarthy got rid of him, and he said, Kellen Moore is too, too focused on lighting up the scoreboard. Well, I like that. Don't you want your offensive player to light up the scoreboard? Absolutely. I think Kellen Moore is going to really have it in for the Cowboys. And he I was really that, surprised. Uh, the, the way Jones reacts most times, in this case, he, he didn't. I mean – he didn't react yeah. after the game. Uh, he kept himself under control with the interview right after the game. A lot of people thought he was going to come down and rant and rave a little bit. He didn't do that. Uh, he, he kept his son, I'll make my decision in a couple of days, which he did, and decided to keep McCarthy. I have to say, I thought it was a little bit of a surprise myself, but that's just yeah. me. Yeah, well, no, it's not just you. I thought he was going to meet Mike McCarthy at the door of the locker room and say, sorry, no visitors. <laughs> Wouldn't have surprised me, Merle. I'll tell you. I, I, when, no. when they got to the fourth, when they got to the fourth quarter, and they were where they were, I said, "Boy, this guy, see, he got no shot, no shot that, of coming that, out of that, this." That, by the way, that by the way was an old Bob Euchre line. He said he was playing for the Phillies, and after the first game of a doubleheader, he was greeted at the door of the locker room, and they said, "Sorry, no visitors." <laughs> <laughs> Roger. Uh, well, you know, I, I, I agree with you about the, uh, uh, the, the new uh, coordinators. And, uh, and I, I, I saw that remark uh, the, uh, about the uh, lightening up the scoreboard. You're exactly yeah. right. We need, to, we need to lighten up the scoreboard. Yeah. Light up the scoreboard and let the defensive coordinator take care of the rest. Exactly. The other thing is the, that uh, – uh, Go ahead, Roger. No, I, I want to ask you, Merle, um, what do you think of the uh, the two uh, linemen, uh, Davis and, um, uh, you know, uh, the uh, what's the Carter. Uh, uh, Carter, Carter, Jalen yeah, Carter. Carter. Yeah, Jalen Carter. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, the two Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, I think they ran yeah, out of Did they burn out because they got yeah, tired I think, I think and they, they did a little bit. Yeah, I, no, I, I think they were in shape. I think there's something Sunday they sometimes call the rookie wall, but I think Jordan Davis. I think he took a lot of pounding this year, and I think that Carter did too. Carter started out like a, a an, an unstoppable force. Didn't do he that did. much at the end, but I think uh, to be really, really honest with you, I think the Eagles had to pay, have to pay a little more attention to uh, hitting in training camp. You know, they the teams today. Yeah are a lot different than what they used to be, and they are legislated against by the collective bargaining agreement that tells them how much hitting they can do, how many days they can wear pads. Right, every right. three days of practice, there's a mandatory day off. It's totally different. But I think Dan Campbell in Detroit pushed that 
to a certain degree, may have even crossed the line at some point, but he had them tackling in practice. He had them doing things to get them toughened up for the long haul. And I think that perhaps Vic Fangio being more old school in that area is going to have the Eagles not quite match Dan Campbell, but be more physically prepared than they were this past season. Merle, I would say that the first five games of the regular season are almost an extension of spring training. I mean, it it takes them four or five games before they're in actual game condition. You're right. Those games are sloppy. They're what the preseason games used to be. Yeah. Right. Well, especially when we used to see four uh, preseason games. And uh, you you remember, as we all do, those Dick Vermeil training camps. Roger, Uh, Roger, hold it, hold it. Wait a minute. My first year, my first full year, you know I took over for Charlie Swift with two games to go in the 77 season. So 1978 Mm -hmm. was my first preseason, my first game, first full season. Do you know how many preseason games the Eagles had that year? Six. Seven. 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 They, oh, I didn't know that. They, they, the, they, the teams played six preseason games, and that year the Eagles had the Hall of Fame game. So they had seven oh, yeah. preseason games before the season started. Well, things and now, and now they, and, and the, whole, the, whole, the whole exhibition season, uh, you don't have as many as one game. I mean, and there are seven games. You wouldn't get as many tackles in one game. Unbelievable. Right. You, don't yeah. see, you don't see Jalen Hurts at all. You don't, you don't see no, the starters no. at all in the preseason anymore. Now there's three preseason games, and I'll bet you within the next few years that number will be reduced to two. Mm-hmm. Well, I think oh, the players' no association has been trying to get it down to two. They want it yeah. to be shorter. They'll, they'll get it to two and then 18 regular season games, which is ridiculous. No. We'll see what happens. Well, and then you're going to yep. you're going to have international games uh, more and more. Uh, well, you know, the, going to fortunately, the Eagles don't have any of the European games this year. Uh, there's one game that hasn't been announced yet that will be in Brazil, and I'm hopeful that the Eagles don't get that. <laughs> that's only an 18, 19 hour flight, Merle. That's no problem. Whatever. Listen, I did a, I did a 16 hour flight. For a preseason game in the Tokyo Dome. <laughs> yeah. Well, you think there are going to be some uh, major jump changes for the Eagles, or you think they're going to stay status quo but just add here and there? I think there's going to be there will be some significant changes. Of course, the draft always ensures that, and free right. agency ensures that uh, there'll be players that that means. Well, you, you'd have to say there's a there's a major change if Jason Kelsey doesn't come back, and the likelihood is that he will call it a career. Uh, Brandon, I was Graham, going to ask you about that because he was publicized yeah. all during the last game there that you know, and that, and after the game when he walked around and talked to uh, many of the players on the field, it, it looked as though he was saying so long, and and then he said yeah, when he got in the clubhouse, he announced he was going to retire, and then he held off. You know, I. Jason and I have become really good friends, and we've golfed together, and I, I know him well. But what happens with Jason Kelsey is he says it's time to go, and then you get into the months like May and June, and he starts to get the itch, and he says, you know what, I feel pretty good. I think I can play another year. So with Kelsey, it's not over till it's over. 
<laughs> We've heard that before. <laughs> well, I, I most people he, did say this year, uh, Merle, I think you'd agree with, most people said this year that some of the older players like Kelsey were the ones that got tired coming to game 14, 15, 16. Well, I think, yeah, yeah, it's tough. It's tough. It's a, it's a pounding. No doubt about it. I think it's tougher when you're losing. <clears throat> Roger? <laughs> Well, and especially when you have the uh, the push, uh, you know, at, at the goal line, and the, the uh, and he's right there. He's the guy on the very bottom. Yeah, uh, and, yep. and that's got to take its toll on you. Sure, sure. He, he takes a hit, and and every believe me, a guy like he, this is interesting to see because primarily Fangio, uh, Vic Fangio has throughout his career been a thirty defense coach a three-man front, and a lot of people feel that Jordan Davis is an ideal nose tackle in that kind of alignment. I I think you're right. I mean, I I think he would be perfect at that size, and uh, and that that could change everything. But you know what? That that would put a lot more emphasis on linebackers, which uh, until the last uh, couple of years, the Eagles really didn't uh, stress. Well, and and I think they've got to really address that, both in the draft and free agency. I think that's a must. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Merle. I think they were a little shortchanged on that. They they expected more from their defensive line, and that the linebacker was just going to stuff the holes. Well, it didn't work out yep. that way. And uh, you I know. know. And you, you got to now. You got to be quick enough. You got to be strong enough. And you know, guys that. Uh, they aren't quick enough to go sideline to sideline or at least center to sideline, they're not going to be able to do it because these players are too fast. Sure. Sure. Yes, sure. So, anyhow, it's uh, it'll be yeah. interesting. Who That's do you like in the say. Super Bowl, Merle? Kansas City. There we go. Absolutely, Kansas City. I, yeah, Don and I are with you on that because uh, – yep. I think it would be great for Andy uh, to win another one. I'm not a Shanahan fan, but uh, I, I just uh, I, I think the Chiefs are I, the the cream rises to the top, as they say. Yep, I think Andy's. I think Andy will be getting his third Lombardi Trophy. Well, I just hope it's a great game. I hope it's as good as some of the games were during the course of the playoffs, because I got to tell you, Merle, uh, I thought that the season was really a downsize. I, uh, there were just too many teams that were not good enough to really be considered really NFL competition in my view this year. I thought that it was a very, very short league. But, Merle, I want to thank you so much for your time on the show. We'll get you back with us again, and we'll talk NFL football or whatever else goes on. And uh, But thank you so very, very much. All right, gentlemen. Always nice Merle, to speak always with a you. pleasure. John, stay thank well. you so much. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Take care. Thanks, Bye-bye. Daryl Ledbetter is down in Atlanta right now. And, uh, Roger, why don't you introduce Daryl? Because you see him at the games every now and then. Uh, you're an Atlanta resident now, and uh, we'll let you get Daryl on here for us today. Well, I used to see him a lot more when I was over there at press conferences. And, uh, Daryl, always a pleasure, my brother, to uh, talk to you. And uh, a lot has gone on with the Falcons. Uh, this year, Arthur Smith, three straight years of uh, losing uh, record and uh, uh, was removed. And, and we thought it might, well, certain people thought it might be Belichick. 
Uh, that didn't uh, work out. And uh, repeat, Raheem Morris is back in the uh, Falcon uh, kingdom, and I think everybody seems to be happy. And, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't we see this before uh, when, like, when Thomas Dimitrov was there, it was going to be the coach and the general manager reported directly to Arthur Blank and not to Rich McKay. And from what I hear now, it's back to that's the way the operation goes. Great to have you with us as always. Well, Roger, thank you so much for the kind words. Uh, it's just a mess. Uh, they refuse to run a football operation. It's more about uh, the owner and being, you know, Jerry Jones putting himself in position. I don't know why the coach and the general manager report to him. He's, what kind of wisdom is he going to share about calling an NFL game or picking players in the, in the, in the uh, draft? So, you know, you really just uh, – you know, uh, the football model where there's a football man that's the gym manager and then the coach worries about coaching. I don't know why it's so hard not to do that. But he's clearly trying to run it like Home Depot, where it was him and Bernie Marcus. And, you know, he's a big collaborative guy. And and, and this football's not – it just hasn't worked. He had it going for a little while there with Mike Smith and Dimitrov. But as soon as they had two losing seasons, he did what you do at Home Depot. You fired a hammer man. So the guy wasn't throwing enough <laughs> hammers, he got to go. And so they just right. switching it on and off. Yeah, and it just hasn't worked. Well, there, what, what well, happened to them? What happened to them directly? Was it the coaching staff, or the general manager? What is it exactly that the, that the Falcons are doing that are upsetting themselves? Well, the first thing is they did not have a plan to transition from Matt Ryan. Therefore, they don't have a quarterback right now. They right. Uh, they tried to sign Deshaun Watson. That didn't, they didn't want to pay the $250 million. And, you know, that might look like a smart move now. But um, then you made Matt Ryan mad, so you had to trade him for nothing. And then, um, you know, you signed Marcus Mariota. You grab Desmond Ritter, and you know he's a project, and you try to play him before he's ready, and you end up going 7-10. and 10. So the, um, messing up the transition from Matt Ryan uh, has been the reason why this coach got fired. Roger? Well, I'll tell you, Daryl, you, you go back to the good old days, and they, it wasn't that long ago uh, with uh, Thomas Dimitrov and Mike Smith. We had fun times, didn't we? They were in the playoffs. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Uh, they had a chance to. It, it was don't the forget, best. Don't I mean, forget Quinn, pres- boys. Quinn was a big factor over there. Well, he was yeah, but for he a few didn't years. Last but long. He only had two good years, three good years, and then the rest was downhill. That's it. That's right. Where Mike was consistent, and I think about those press conferences on Monday in that small little media room with him at a desk and guys laying on the floor. Uh, asking <laughs> questions, and uh, I'll tell you, it was a great time. And the other thing is they've never been the same since they got to the Mercedes-Benz Stadium, have they? Uh, no, they haven't. Uh, they haven't had a winning season there. It's been six straight losing seasons uh, in the Mercedes-Benz. just started coming to life a little bit last year, uh, you know, when they were – 
they started the season 2-0, and and the fans were starting to get back into it. But, you know, at the end of the season, it was, uh, you know, it's pretty clear that they didn't have the fans all the way back. Well, is quarterback the name of the game coming to the draft? Do they have to have a primary quarterback first before they do anything else? Yeah, um, they got to get a quarterback. Uh, it's just a matter of, uh, you know, can you find a veteran? Do you want to go that route? Uh, do you, um, you know, uh, trade for Justin Fields, or do you try to get one in the draft? Roger? What do you think uh, – how do you think Fields would work? I know there's uh, speculation, uh, Case Keenum, but uh, I heard he wants to stay in um, in, in Minnesota, uh, you know, to finish uh, his Chicago. career. Uh, but. Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, well, you mean Fields. Cousins. Yeah, I'm but sorry. I, was, mm-hmm. I mean, cousins. I mean, Kirk Cousins. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. What? Uh, what? Do you think Fields would be a good acquisition for the Falcons? Do you think he's good? Um, I think he's good, but I've been told that you got to tailor your system for him. He's a little slow on the processing and um, diagnosing the plays, but he looked pretty good. Uh, when the Falcons went up there and they beat them 37 to 17. But, uh, yeah, you got to put in the RPOs and kind of that college stuff, um, you know, get him a tight end. It's kind of like he would have to play like Cam Newton played with the Carolina Panthers. So, uh, you know, that's the head coach would want to have to play like that. But Raheem Morris has hired Zach Robinson as his coordinator, and he's a Sean McVay guy. Uh, played college at Oklahoma State, ran the uh, air raid attack. So he's more of a drop-back guy. He was Des Bryant's quarterback uh, in college. So uh, he's more of a guy that wants to, you know, spread the field and throw it around to Cooper Cola and, you know, run the ball where he needs to and so forth. So I don't think Justin Beals fits. If Kirk Cousins stays, that's, that's fine. They, they're going to have to draft somebody. Or you get in a bidding war with Tampa Bay for Baker Mayfield, who played for only $4 million last year, had a good year, bet on himself. Now somebody's going to give him some more money. Well, what what right. number, are, what uh, number you know, are they in the draft, Daryl? Uh, they pick eight. So none of the good quarterbacks yeah. are going to be there at eight. Yeah, they're going to be gone. You know, uh, well, they can always make a trade to come, come up a little bit. Well, well, that, yeah, they they could do that. But here's the other thing, um, you know, I wonder with the new uh, administration with the Patriots, and and they they're low, uh, whether they'll go for a quarterback. And I'm just wondering if they would uh, let Mac Jones go. And I I think Mac Jones in a new environment can succeed. I may be crazy. But uh, what do you think about that, Daryl? You think that uh, is a possibility about him moving? Yeah, the Patriots had a third pick, so yeah, maybe you can figure that out or, or get him, uh, you know, uh, on the cheap or on the move. But uh, yeah, you got a good, you got a, a coordinator who's a quarterback coach. One of the other kids, KJ Black, is a quarterback. Um, he was with the Rams as an uh, assistant. He's the quarterback at Prairie View and m so you would have two quarterbacks in his ear every day. And all you got to do is manage this thing. Um, somebody's open. Uh, you know, if yeah. you design it right, 
Kyle Pitts should be open. If they double Kyle Pitts, then Drake London should be open. If they double both of them, then Bijan should be open. So it's not real hard, um, you know, and if they can scheme it up, add another receiver into the mix, then, you know, the, the quarterback just got to function, and uh, that's what Desmond Ritter couldn't do. So Mac Jones could do I think he can do that. Well, I'll give us a little bit of the scenario and the song and dance between Belichick and the Falcons because everybody thought the day he left uh, the Falcons, I mean, the day he left the Patriots, that he was headed toward Atlanta. And it seemed like the ship slowed up about halfway down. <laughs> no, no. It, no, it got pretty much to the end. Our article on January 11th told you that uh, Arthur Blank was focused on Belichick. He was the number one target for the Atlanta Falcons. And that was as far back as November when things started to go sideways. Uh, you know, our reporting for the AJC uh, was, was spot on. It was uh, Bilicek was the number one target, and Raheem Morris was the fallback. He was the first person to interview. He was the first person to get the second interview. And basically, they couldn't work out a deal. He wanted to be in charge of everything. He wanted to run the personnel. He wanted to run the football operations. He wanted to run the ticket sales. And, you know, Arthur Blank <laughs> gave Dan Quinn that power. He said he's going to never do that again. He doesn't need the coach picking the players. He can have input, but he's not going to be in charge of, uh, you know, the whole football empire. Roger? Well, you know, the identical thing happened in Philadelphia, too, Daryl, uh, with Chip Kelly. He got all the power. Howie Roseman was put in the closet office. And that, Jeffrey Lurie said, I'm never letting my team get away again. And that's right. exactly what you're saying about Arthur. Right. He wanted him to come in and be collaborative with, you know, general manager. It could have been Terry. I don't know if he wanted him to get somebody else. He probably didn't want him. He wanted him to come in and get along with Terry Fontenot and Bill probably didn't, he didn't want to do that. He wanted to bring in his people. Um, going to bring in all that, uh, Josh McDaniel, Pat, Matt, Patricia and Joe judge, all them three failed head NFL coaches. <laughs> well, I'm so happy he didn't get the job. <laughs> you, you and me both. It would have been a disaster, a final disaster. We were, to, we were talking to uh, your good friend, Roy Cummings earlier. And I said, uh, well, we know Matt Patricia is not successful as either a defensive coordinator or an offensive coordinator. Yeah, and or, or as a head coach. Or as a head coach, right? <laughs> well, now oh, at the same okay. time, at the same time, every time we would get a report, especially on a Wednesday night show, uh, all the people that we talked to around the league said that, uh, you know, that the owner of the Falcons is never going to turn on McKay. They're, they're like, uh, you know, bread and butter. They're not going to, they're not going to sweat up. You challenge McKay, you're challenging the owner. And he's not going to do that. Yeah. Uh, McKay is his trusted lieutenant. You know, when he bought the team, you know, he didn't know a lot about football. He was trying to uh, get Joe Gibbs to come in here. Uh, he had Bobby Bethard as a consultant, uh, and then he got McKay to kind of help him through, you know, being an owner, what the league means. Uh, he liked the fact that McKay was on the competition committee. Uh, he did a good job at GM, and then as soon as something went wrong, um, you know, he fired him too. You know, uh, 
when Bobby Petrino didn't work out, McKay got demoted and uh, moved over to being in charge of getting the stadium built. So he did that for a few years till Dimitrov got in trouble, and then he he, he took his powers away. So, you know, the owner, is, is, is he operates like, you know, he's going to read the quarterly reports, and if the, you know, um, the hammer sales aren't up, you know, you're in trouble. So yeah. uh, that that's what's happened throughout. But McKay's been able to stay because he made the owner a lot of money building that new stadium with such little resistance. McKay's built two stadiums now in the league, and, you know, that's why he's considered for the Hall of Fame. And uh, he made him a lot of money on the sale of uh, well, part 30% of the team for $500 million. The owner got 70% of that. So, yeah, McKay is a trusted lieutenant. He wasn't going to kick him out the door, but he gave him a job where he can, you know, be still in charge of something. And, you know, if the football teams go haywire again, you'll see him move back over there and fix it up for the owner. Roger. Well, yeah, you're exactly right, and and uh, and I that's the way I've been looking at it too. And you know, I I keep on going back to Thomas. I mean, he did a great job, and I think he's got a tremendous personnel guy. I know uh, you keep in co- co- contact with him. He's still in Colorado, I think, as you had said before, right? Yeah. No, I think he's here in Buckhead uh, doing some oh, analytics he? work. Yeah, I think he's in uh, here doing some analytics work, and uh, but maybe back and forth between here and Colorado. Well, the people I, I that are unfamiliar with Buckhead, Buckhead is right out of Atlanta. Oh yeah, but you know, I mm-hmm. just wish he'd get back in the NFL in personnel uh, because he really uh, was the uh, stabling influence. Uh, on the Falcons' great run, they had a great coach, they had a great general manager, and they had a great quarterback. And uh, mm-hmm. and I just think that the that's I mean, not that he would be with the Falcons, but I think he's a real personnel guy who would be uh, really an asset to a lot of teams in the NFL. Yeah, I think he would be. Uh, you know, a lot of those guys they've been cycled in and out, and you don't see them come back. I mean, Jerry Reese had uh, won two rings with the Giants. I haven't heard him. Uh, Scott Pioli had a, uh, you know, shot with Kiel. He built the foundation for Kansas City, um, and and he hasn't gotten a job back other than being assistant general manager here. Uh, You know, it's um, the NFL is a ruthless business. You get a run, you need to stay on that run, stay on that heater like John Snyder in uh, Seattle and uh, outlast some coaches. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, some of the general managers don't make it back into the league after their time is up. Mark Dominic from down that way, haven't seen him get a job back in the league. Uh, Mike Mayock with the with the Raiders, haven't seen him get a job back in the league. So, sure, he'll probably be doing some combine work here coming up. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, once you get up, Reggie McKenzie's down with uh, the guys here in Miami. So, you know, some guys get, you know, they get taken care of. Uh, but as far as getting back in the main spot, it's kind of hard. It's only 32 of those jobs. Well, well we finally got Richard to the McKenzie. playoffs uh, last weekend. And, of course, the Super Bowl coming up, uh, uh, where, you know, they expected, uh, you know, 50 million people to be watching both games on, on Sunday last Sunday. And they probably did. I didn't see the numbers, but they probably were around 50 million uh, for both games. And they expect more than that to watch the Super Bowl. 
probably an all-time crowd. But, Darrell, i got to tell you, it was, I talked to, to Merle Reese, the voice of the Eagles, before you came on, and I said this. There was just so much mediocre football. I mean, yeah, there were oh, a lot yeah. of teams who were 5-5 five and five or just under 5-5 five and five or, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, maybe – 62% or 52%. There was just so much bad football. I will say this. When they got to the two championship games last weekend and hopefully the Super Bowl, they're going to step up the NFL quality. But this was not an NFL quality season. Mm-mm. No, it's not. Um, and uh, I've been saying this, and Roger knows it, uh, and anybody that goes to practice every day, they see it. Uh, they don't practice anymore. They they don't even tackle. No. They're out there uh, tagging each other, uh, you know, working on plays that, you know, they hope might work in the game. You know, they they, they don't scrimmage. Uh, you know, they only got 15 days to pass to practice in, and then when they do, they don't tackle. So, yeah, the tackle is shoddy. The ball handle is shoddy. Uh, quarterback play, we're going through a transition there. Uh, but, yeah, the game, uh, the quality of the game has is, is, is gotten so bad that um, sometimes it's unwatchable. And I've had to cover a lot of unwatchable games with the Falcons. Like, you know, this touchback rule, um, hold, hold on to the ball, son. You're going across the end zone. You don't stick it out like you some video game. Right. Hold on to the right. ball. We had that with the quarterback in, in Tampa. He's got the ball in the right hand. Going across the goal line, he's trying to stick it out and be cute. And Anton Winfield comes up and knocks it out of bounds, and it's a touchback. So, you know, oh, it's yeah. just bad football. Uh, and But as long as the TV ratings are so high and they're making so much money, nobody's going to, uh, you know, put tackling back into practice. No, I agree exactly with you. Right. I, and, and, Roger, we talked many times, even the, even the guys doing the pregame shows and the halftime shows, just absolutely, just killed them. No open field tackles, no chance. They just wouldn't put an arm out, let the guy go by, and let the next guy catch him if he can. Well, and what's going to happen is that as you get the younger generation going, taking over these shows, I mean, let's face it, there's a lot of guys that are going to be retiring. We're all from, and Daryl's a lot younger than us, Don, but uh, he he was in Green Bay all those years. He saw exactly the, the, what we're talking about right there. I mean, we grew up watching that, and it's not the same, and it, I think it's going to get worse. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I watched uh, Mike Holmgren his whole time in, and Ray Rhodes first year, then I moved down here. Uh, but, yeah, you know, you got to go to practice. My job uh, early on was to watch. The defensive lineman worked, so I followed around Reggie White for practice and Greg Blanche. Uh, then I got the receivers, and I got to see John Gruden work uh, with the receivers. And then Andy Reid had the tight end. So, so uh, you know, you saw what they were doing and how it was working in practice. Um, you know, they tackled live. Uh, and then by the time I get here, William Moore, 2000, about 2010, he's been thrown out of practice for tackling. Because, you know, they didn't want to get anybody hurt and everything. So he he couldn't figure it out, you know, like, hey, I can't hit my guys anymore. And so they were like, no, save that for Sunday. And, and so, yeah, the, the uh, quality of play over the last, uh, you know, what we're uh, last 13 years has deteriorated. 
they need to have a plan to get it back up, uh, learn how to teach um, tackling again. And, and uh, if they're not going to hit and try to – I get that, player safety and so forth. But, I mean, it's football. you got to tackle uh, in practice to get better. Maybe no they'll make it into that. a flag football league. <laughs> well, who's like they're going to have it the Pro Bowl. <laughs> yeah, who's paying for that? I'm not going to – I don't – I just wipe the uh, Pro Bowl from my memory. I'm not going to see that or even going to turn That's in right. for it. I know, spending money to see a flag football game. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, it's it's just like we were saying with, with Merle, Daryl. You know, you go back, at, at, and as he said, when he first started calling the uh, Eagles games, uh, it was 77, right, Don? And uh, yeah. he, he said they had that year they had seven the Eagles had because they had the Hall of Fame game seven preseason games. Oh yeah. Today, <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, they, they they have two now. Yeah, that was the sixth game uh, exhibition season with the Hall of Fame game. Yeah. And it gave you plenty of time, and you had a lot better quality and. Uh, and, and tackling and, and everything. And um, I just, I, I hope that uh, for, for the, for the uh, management and also for the fans uh, that uh, the, the Falcons can turn it around. I hope they get a quarterback uh, and, uh, and, and hopefully it will be, even if it were, I think Mac Jones can, can um, uh, control the game and, and uh, manage the game. And I just think he needs a, a new uh, breath of fresh air, you know, getting away from Belichick and, and everything where he had Matt Patricia as the OC, and then he had Bill O'Brien, who I think did a good job. I think that really improved him, but who knows. But, um, you know, there's a guy that I wonder where he'll, he'll wind up or whether he is staying with New England, Bill O'Brien. I haven't heard his name at all. Yeah, he's going to Ohio State. Uh, so he's going to oh, be the Ohio okay. State. Yeah, Ohio, Ohio State's loaded this year. My, my Georgia people are telling me this is Ohio State's year, so I know they're loaded if they're saying that. Uh, but but well, Bill, well, Darryl, Bill I, did a great job with Deshaun down in Houston too. Darrell Wimbet has been our special yeah, guest I, this half hour, and Darrell, I want to thank you so much for being with us. And uh, we got another Hall of Famer coming up next year in just a second. But thank you so much for being with us. We hope you go with us a couple more weeks. Now that the football season is over, your schedule is going to be a little lighter. We'll get you on with us a couple times next toward the end of the uh, spring. spring. <laughs> Okay, no problem. Feel free to call. I'll be more than happy to come on with you guys. Take care. Darryl, you're the best. Okay. We'll you get, can tell we'll us why the, Bra- you can tell us why the Braves are winning and I'm losing back down there. Yeah. All right. back in town. Okay. Take All right. care. Take care. Mike Simzak is ready now. He's down in that Philadelphia, Washington area where there's a lot of things going on down there right now. And, uh, Mike, we get you started early today because we talk a lot of football, but i got to ask you what you thought about the two playoff games before we get into soccer or something else. Where do I begin? Number one, 
you just said that you had another Hall of Famer coming on. I'm waiting for them to come on because apparently I got I'm on right now. Your seat. Yeah, you're a Wednesday night <laughs> Hall of Famer. Uh, wait, I'm occupying somebody's seat. Uh, I need to get out of it real quick. <laughs> like nobody ever you're put me Hall in the Hall of Fame. Famer, say, nobody put me in the Hall of Fame. Me and the words Hall of Fame ever in the same sentence unless got banned from was in front of it. <laughs> um, well, before we run uh, out of time here, give us some of your observations. Uh, um, let's start with the Ravens and the Chiefs. Uh, I was shocked at how the extent to which uh, Todd Monk and uh, Jim Harbaugh and Lamar Jackson got overawed by the occasion. And you hear about tunnel vision. And they came out afterwards and said, you know, it was just the occasion, it was just the occasion, it was just the occasion. I really think that they got lost in the moment. And I was really surprised that that was what happened because here's a team that made, in the Ravens, that made their money off their rushing game. And their running backs had six rushing attempts the whole entire game. Harbaugh comes out after halftime and says, we need to run the ball more. And they really just did not understand that their defense actually was able to hold the Chiefs and had they played their game, probably could have won. I think on the other side, you know, you had a team in the 49ers that had been there a lot and a team in the Lions that hadn't. Dan Campbell got up in the in the first half and coached very, very aggressively, and I think he made some decisions that, upon further review, that he wished he had had back. And so you had two teams, and I'm not going to say on either occasion that the Lions nor the Ravens lost the games versus the Chiefs and the 49ers win it. I think in both occasions you had experienced coaching staffs who had been in championship games before and knew how to win them that did that. There's a very famous soccer coach by the name of Jose Mourinho who says games like this are not meant to be played, they're meant to be won. And that always stuck with me because when you get into these later round knockout games like the NFC and AFC championship game and the Super Bowl, it does not matter how you play the game. It matters whether or not you actually win it. That's right. I don't disagree, I don't disagree with that. I, that's what it's all about, the W. The, you talk all the, all the money, all the things you want to talk about. When you put the team on the field, you've got to win. And if you don't win, uh, you're going to take a lot of criticism. And I think that's exactly what happened, uh, you know, with the Ravens because – as I said uh, to a couple of our guests earlier talking about the game, you know, Jackson was going more toward his end zone than he was going toward the uh, opponent's end zone. And he was just uh, just completely over, over, overwhelmed by the way the, the, the defense worked on him. They got so caught up in what things should be and how this should be played, and they forgot them all. And that's why I give Doug Peterson credit for how he won the Super Bowl with the Eagles. He didn't give a damn what that game looked like. He didn't care that 
they never forced the Patriots to punt. There was no punts in the game. It was a straight-up right. shootout. What he said was, we're going to win this game. This game has nothing to do with how it looks when it's played. Is At the end of the day, what people are going to remember is whether or not we won it. And that's what he went out and said. And I, I really – I think that um, Munkin and, and, and Detroit, they both got caught up in what the game was going to look like and how we do what we're supposed to do rather than what we need to do to win these games. And on the flip side, you saw Kyle Shanahan and Andy Reid say, we're just going to win this game. I don't care how it looks like. We're just going to win. I couldn't agree with you more. Roger? Well, you play the game to win, just like you said. And and, uh, and that's what Andy did. And I think Andy uh, learned some uh, games early in his career uh, about uh, not doing it, it uh, the other way. You know, when they were in the uh, NFC Championship, uh, pardon me, so many times. Don, we were there, you know, and uh, at the vet, at the link. And uh, they they just uh, couldn't uh, get over the uh, the hurdle. You uh, got to you got to play to win, not to uh, put a, uh, a a look on on how you win, but that you win. You're exactly right, Mike. And um, I do think that uh, Steve Spagnola did a great job on the defense with Kansas City because I think I really fouled the Ravens up. But let me – I wanted to get Roger, back to what you said. Um, that this, Roger, real quick. I, when I was wrestling in high school, uh, I had a coach who came out and said, the guy who wins the match is the first person that makes the other team think, uh, the other guy think that they can lose. I think that's mm-hmm. what C. Spagnolo did to the Ravens. And that's what I think the, 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 the uh, Chiefs in general did to the Ravens. They made them think that they could lose. And so the Ravens were so focused on the fact that they could lose that game, they never figured out how they could win it. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. And uh, I know you mentioned earlier uh, that uh, John Harbaugh had said at halftime, uh, we're going to run the ball, but they didn't run the ball. Uh, and was there any comments made post game about, uh, I mean, his game plan did not uh, gel like he expected? Uh, Harbaugh's a professional. He's not going to go out and throw. Oh yeah, no doubt. Sack. Under the bus, and he says, "You know, we messed up. Um, it was the occasion. It was this sort of thing." What the narrative down here has been: Shouldn't he have gone over and just grabbed the headset off a of monkey and said, "I'm calling the place." Mm-hmm. Um. I think that they all had tunnel vision, and some of that worked out. Mike McDonald called an amazing game for the Ravens' defense. Let's be honest. Mm -hmm. After the first two drives where the Chiefs ran down the field and scored touchdowns, they scored three points the entire rest of the game. What I think is that offense and special teams did not realize that the defense had such a hold 
on them, that they didn't need the panic. They didn't need the fear that whatever they did, the Chiefs were going to respond and, and equalize out. Like the defense mm-hmm. had this. You had more time to work than you knew you did. And mm-hmm. even the commentators. Um, there was a moment where um, Terrell Suggs walked out on the field. And they come back and they say, well, if, if the Ravens need to stop, it's right now. And Terrell Suggs, and if this doesn't get them motivated, what will? Now, as you look ahead to the draft and you look toward uh, what's going to happen in the next two or three months, where do you see the Ravens, you know, because they're going to be way down in the draft next to last. What is your uh, what is your observation about where they're going to go? What direction are they going to go in? Uh, they have um, they have some issues to deal with. Uh, they've got 23 of their 53-man roster who are pending free agents. And they've only got a about $16 million to work with in salary cap and eight draft picks. They're going to have to make some really, really, really tough decisions. I think the biggest of which is Justin Matabuke, the uh, defensive tackle, and Patrick Queen, the uh, inside linebacker, are both pending free agents. Both of them had breakout seasons. Uh, They just don't have the money to pay both of them. And so they're going to have to make a really critical decision right there. They've signed Roquan Smith to a deal. So my money would be on Matt Bouquet right now. I think they feel like they can get another guy to fill in um, next to uh, Roquan Smith, an inside linebacker. But then also both of their uh, outside linebackers, um, they're starting outside linebackers, uh, Kyle Van Noy and – um, Jazavian Clowney, who is playing that this that position this year, they're both free agents. All right, we'll follow up with that, uh, Mike, and, and uh, next week because there's going to be a lot of football conversation between now and the draft. Thank you very, very much. As always, we'll get together next week. All right, Mike, have a great week. Talk to you. you too. Thanks, Thanks Mike. Doug Hamilton is on the line. Next, we're going to get a hold of Doug, and, and that's, mm-hmm. I, I will not start off with the Ravens. I'll start off with <laughs> Angelo Segreen to sell the Baltimore Orioles for $1.725 billion. Uh, I would assume, Doug, as a big, big Oriole fan or PGA mm-hmm. professional, by the way, <laughs> not just a baseball fan and professional, but PGA professional. We'll talk about uh, golf a little bit later on. But what's, what's the story now? What do you think about this deal? Well, my guess is that uh, anybody that can claim to be a Redskin fan was singing praises of Joyce when Daniel Snyder was ousted and sold the team. So I, I, it's going to be a very similar concept here in Baltimore. I think that there was a, a T-shirt that I saw that had the dates of uh, the Angelos family owning the Orioles, and it said, I survived the Angelos era. So, <laughs> Hot um, seller, right? Well, listen, I mean, it's, it's, you know, notoriously cheap. Um, You know, he put some pretty, pretty poor products out there. And, um, you know, I think that the sun is really. But did you think that 1.75 was a little bit low for a franchise today? Uh, I mean, they've got a great minor league system right now. They've got players 
They've got seven or eight players that are almost ready to step up to the major leagues, not counting the ones that did last year that did so well. I, I thought that was a great buy. I mean, you know, the Angelos family bought it for 173000 and, you know, so um, they, they certainly are, are pretty happy with uh, the amount of money that, that they're going to walk away with. And since the, the old man is, is nearing his, his uh, last few steps on, on planet Earth, um, they can't finalize the actual, you know, I guess you'd say sale or, or 100% of, of um, transfer until he passes for tax uh, reasons, so they said. Um, but it's a gigantic, oh, really? you know, conglomeration. Oh, they, they can't uh, do that. Yeah, they're going to wait for him. To, it's forty percent. Well, the owners' meeting is going to be the owners' meeting is going to be next week, but they can only tentatively yeah. agree because of the fact right. they can't, don't have a complete contract. Right. It's it's only forty percent. I think is the sale like amount. I think of, of what they get, but they have to wait until the old man flies the coop to to get the rest of it. I guess. Um, but it's you know there's there's two major partners um, that are both worth in excess of like two billion dollars in addition to right. you know Cal Ripken and Grant Hill and Kurt Schmoke and there's a whole list of of different people that are involved in in this uh, stakeholding. So you know I think the hope is that you know with with uh, the lease just being signed and the six hundred million dollars that. Um, you know, they can revitalize the area and the stadium. Uh, hopefully these guys have, you know, deeper pockets that add expenditures to the payroll so that we can actually go out and get, you know, some of the pieces that we need in addition to, you know, a very strong minor league system that's that's uh, pretty stout from top to bottom. I mean, we've had the number one overall prospect in baseball for three consecutive years, which hasn't ever been done before. Um, so they're pretty well stocked uh, with, um, right. you know, uh, Lots of talent uh, all the way down. They recently touted the, an opening of um, a baseball academy in the uh, Dominican Republic. So they're doing an awful lot of different things um, on the shore and off the shore in terms of international signings and um, you know developing their own players. And and it's it's really nice to see the turnaround that's that's been had over the last several years. And you know dating back to I mean the Angelos family spent money I think in the beginning, but. But by and large, uh, they they made a big you know pass on um, tr- trying to put a winning product out there. Roger. Well, I agree with you. I think early on they did. Uh, you know, they had a uh, when they were winning uh, when uh, Camden Yards first opened up, and uh, well, exactly what year did they buy the uh, the Orioles? Um. Eli Jacobs was the previous owner, and I can't remember um, exactly when that was. It was in the 80s, though, right? It had to be in the 80s. I thought he said it was like 30-something years they owned them. Well, they – Maybe uh, late 80s. Yeah, yeah, that would be late 80s because I remember I I retired from uh, the Navy in 89, and I know that uh, I'm pretty sure uh, when I'd be down there at uh, Fort Meade, uh, and go, going to games that uh, he, they had bought the team. And, and wasn't National Bohemian Beer involved in, in uh, ownership at one time? I, I don't know. I, I well, just, to, just to interrupt you for a second, Rosenstein was the one that at Baltimore Native, he was worth an estimated $4.6 billion. And, uh, but I'm just trying to see whether, whether I could see what the actual cost was how many years ago. 
I haven't seen it yet. Oh, here we go. What's this up here? No, it said 1,725,000. Could that be right? By Puck. Puck 1 News? billion? Yeah, that could be. Yeah. No. 1.725 billion. 1.725. Yeah. yeah, billion. Yeah, that's that's right. And I mean, uh, did it say, uh, Don, did it, did it say when uh, Angelo's bought the team? That's what I'm saying. I'm looking for the date now. I haven't, I haven't seen it yet. Okay. Well, I would. It's, it's got to be in, in the late '80s, and Doug, like you said, 30 years. But mm-hmm. uh, that's not a bad investment uh, for uh, 30 years. But uh, and Camden, Camden Yards opened up uh, at least uh, what 30 is it? What is it? 30 years now? 30, 30th anniversary. 92. I think 92. 92. The there you go. Yeah, 32 years. It's, it's hard to believe. I'll tell you, because mm-hmm. Don and we, we said many times, Don and we I were young had guys then. We were young guys then, Roger. <laughs> we, we were young guys. We were. Yeah. <laughs> On our way to D.C. to cover the Eagles and home, and then you're, you're going in, leaving me. I'm going to the hotel. You're going in to work overnight yeah. in the morning sports at CAU. <laughs> right, right uh, out of Camden Yard, right out of Camden Yard with the hard hats on. That's it. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was. Those great were the to fun days, up. boy. Those were the fun days. They were. Yeah, the, uh, I'll tell you a funny story, Doug. Um, I was at an, a a, a, a uh, Orioles game, and Fred Lynn hit the uh, game-winning mm-hmm. home run. And uh, you may even remember it because it's in, in your time. And mm-hmm. uh, what I did was I called Don, and I interviewed uh, Fred, and uh, the uh, uh, one question was, what was the pitch? And I called Don, send the feed in so he can use it on Sports Final at CAU. The next morning mm-hmm. I've got uh, WTOP on, and when Elliott's on, and I hear my voice, Fred, what was the pitch? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Win Elliott was a great guy, boy. I'll tell you, he worked for CBS for a while. His brother worked out on the West Coast, and he worked on the East Coast. But he was a he was a great guy. But uh, yeah, that was that we, CBS have, we have to at least touch. We have to teach on the long weekend. We can't let go by without touching <laughs> on it. <laughs> right. The long weekend is uh, Mr. Jackson had a tough time. Um, I mean, he um, I, he didn't play like he had been playing in terms of uh, MVP like, but I, I don't. I mean, he didn't. He looked fine to me. I mean, he was he put up good stats. He, uh, you know, they were able to, you know, move the ball incrementally. I mean, they just certainly the Ravens didn't play their best game, and and um, you know they on a couple different occasions. I mean that Zay Flowers Drive fumble on the goal line was was tough, um, but. For me, um, I, I had a very difficult time watching that football game, and I thought that that was one of the worst officiated games I had seen all year. Um, statistically, the crew that officiated that game um, favors the away team by a wide margin of 3-1 to one in terms of the penalties they call. In addition, um, typically the away team – uh, under their purview, uh, wins sixty percent of the games. Um, there were there were quite a few calls that that um, I mean, Travis Kelsey is is um, I 
can't say it on the air, but that's what I think of him. <laughs> he is one of a very large instigator, and when when Van Noy um, got up in his face, he barely touched him, and they threw a 15-yard penalty on him. Kelsey has been doing that kind of crap all day and never got flagged. Um, the interception that Lamar Jackson threw in the end zone was pass interference, as noted by Gene Steratore, who was up you know, in the booth. And then towards the end of the game, there was another call that, that uh, likely got tackled, basically, and, and nothing was called. I thought the Zay Flowers taunting was a little ticky-tack. I thought um, some of the other calls, the personal fouls, I mean, it was fairly egregious, you know, watching that game um, that the Ravens were playing more than just the Chiefs. Um, and unfortunately, they just they only scored 10 points. They lost. Um, they did make, you know, a couple turnovers that were – uh, not not very timely. Um, you know, Zay Flowers was trying to make a play and he just didn't make it to the end zone and, and that's really that's really bad luck. But um it's disappointing as a fan to watch that and the manner that that happened. Um I hope Lamar wins the MVP. Um you know, we'll see. They they took a giant step forward. I know that I was before I came on, I was listening to the show with uh with Mike talking about a lot of the impending free agents and you know, look, at the end of the day, whether it's Ozzy or Eric DaCosta, um, yeah, they're going to have some tough decisions to make, but Patrick Queen ain't getting paid, um, and, and the Ravens are likely to just cash in on a compensatory pick when he signs with somebody else. Um, you know, do they do they have enough money to sign Matabike? I don't know. I mean, I'm not worried about, you know, some of the off-season moves because they always figure it out. They restructure contracts. They, uh, you know, draft wisely. They have players. Um, Patrick Queen's predecessor is already on the football team. His name is Trenton Simpson, and he played against the Steelers. He, he looked really good. Um, Jadavion Clowney is going to sign somewhere else, um, and again, they'll likely get a compensatory pick and be fine. They have somebody, Adafi Way, They have David Ajabo. Somebody else is going to step in and take his place, and that's what they do. They draft players. They don't always play them right away. They they develop those players, and and then. You know, when they need someone else to step in, then that's when they do it. So, I mean, I'm not concerned about that. Um, you know, I really thought forward. they had the best defense in the league this year, to be honest with you, Doug. I, I yeah. thought they were the best defensive team in the National Football League. I mean, they they were very well coached. Um, it's it's not surprising to see Mike McDonald, you know, leave for the head coaching job at Seattle for the you know two years that he spent there and what he was able to do. Uh, with that defense, uh, led the league in in um, sacks and turnovers and um, scoring average and all, all the different you know metrics that that would indicate uh, that they were pretty good all over the field. Um, you know, hopefully they promote uh, somebody either Anthony Weaver or Denard Wilson. Uh, either one of those two guys will likely be the next defensive coordinator. Uh, they're very well coached from top to bottom in all the different facets of of the game. Um, I think the bigger question mark for me is running back. They don't really I think Justice Hill is like the only running back uh, that's going to be under contract. Uh, Keaton Mitchell was a superstar, a breakout star that tore his ACL. And, and of course, uh, uh, Dobbins uh, hurt himself again and, and was out for the year. So they've got a little bit of work to do um, in terms of their offense and, and um, you know, putting an offensive line together and staying under the salary cap and, uh, all those uh, different things after signing Lamar to that enormous contract. So um, I'm sure they'll figure it out, and that's what they get paid to do, um, and they'll, they'll put another good product on the field. Well, let's leave it right there. Hey, we'll Doug. cover it next week. We'll see where they are. And uh, once again, Doug, thank you very, very much for of your course. time. 
We're going to yeah, switch always. over right now to the USFL. Trevor's ready to go for a few minutes to talk about the USFL. So, Trevor, you got about two and a half, three minutes, looks like to me. Can we extend it, Don? Pardon? I extended the time so he can go for another five minutes. Oh, okay. He's got, he's got eight, 15 minutes left. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, uh, Trevor, uh, Roger here. Uh, I was telling Don and, and uh, your grandfather earlier, uh, did a lot of uh, research on the uh, United Football League. I'm very impressed. And uh, I see that Troy Vincent's son, the uh, Ron uh, Vincent, uh, the fo- former tackle from Ohio State, <coughs> excuse me, is on uh, San Antonio's uh, team. And uh, I was looking at the rosters, and there's some impressive players uh, on their uh, coaches, and uh, they're going to be playing, uh, San Antonio's playing in the Alamo zone. So uh, there was that 65,000, not that they'll get it, but uh, the league does seem to now be falling into place. Uh, like, uh, give us an update like on that. Yeah, no, the fact that all the teams are going to be in their home venues is definitely a, uh, you know, a perk. Um, I wouldn't say they wouldn't get 65,000. St. Louis was putting up over 70,000 tickets sold last year. Uh, I mean, it's got a big fan base. I'm walking around even in town in Ellington, Florida, and people are wearing UFL gear and stuff like that. So it's, it's definitely growing, and um, they're marketing it very well. They had uh, specific ads per team marketed in, obviously, those states during um, the playoff weekends. Uh, Michigan Panthers had their own. Uh, add. I mean, they're doing they're doing pretty well in that regard. But uh, like you said, the rosters are very full of uh, really good talent, and it kind of did come down to the condensing of the two leagues. It's going to be very like competitive. Uh, you, you were talking about San Antonio. They just actually brought in Joe Flacco's little brother, uh, Tom Flacco, to play quarterback with them. But uh, Wade Phillips is their head coach. I mean, they're still. Really good talent and overall coaching. In where does Flacco go to college? Uh, where, where do, Northwestern or to no, Towson somewhere? I don't. Towson, I, very small. Okay. Oh, Towson in Maryland. Maryland, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But he's, you know, that's well, a that's a good name to grab. Well, it, they, yeah. I mean, they they they've got some good names. I mean, you know, you're really on top of it and uh, really got my interest the other day. And I just went through the rosters and uh, the teams and the coaches. And uh, I mean, there's some, uh, some good names in there uh, on the and coaching ranks too. Absolutely. And after I can safely say, I did not miss one USFL game the past two years. I covered it extensively um, there's going to be a lot of really good players. A lot of really good players aren't even in the league. They had to go up north to the CFL because there weren't any spots left. So um, I was disappointed to see that. A lot of really good talent head up north to you know, a variation of football. You know, three downs, it's different. But, um, you know, I really do wish that they maybe kept two more teams, maybe kept the league a little bigger. But I like the conference set up with the USFL conference and the XFL conference. A lot of big names, Reuben Foster, former first-round picks. I mean, Ethan Westbrook, um, Vinny Papali's back, obviously we talked about him, but Mark Thompson, Darius Victor, 
Case Cook is, Troy Williams. I mean, there's so many guys that are just uh, waiting to play and get that spotlight properly shined on them. And they're, I mean, it, it's hard to even say, like, who's going to even be the dominant team this year. Every roster is loaded. It's going to come down to definitely coaching. And in my personal opinion, you know, you can go off accolades all you want and say Wade Phillips is the best coach. But uh, as of late, since obviously the 80s, like when the USFL was probably the most established spring league because it had consecutive seasons. Um, but Skip Holtz is definitely the best spring football coach uh, of recent memory. And I don't think that anyone's going to dethrone the Birmingham Stallions. But obviously we'll have to see. I think the Memphis Showboats have a really good chance at it. But uh, I'm honestly not going to lie to you. I think the – the weighted side with talent is the USFL conference. Um, they did each of their teams did very well at picking up their talent from their league where like teams were folded. So a lot of guys were available. They did a good job at picking those guys up as on the other hand, there wasn't many big acquisitions for the XFL conference other than obviously them having established rosters um, like the other four teams already. But I just didn't see much ta- talent being funneled into those teams the most impressive team for sure um, this offseason so far has been the San Antonio Brahmas. Wade Phillips replacing Heinz Ward as the head coach, probably the best move. Heinz Ward had a rough year last year. They need to get Jay Cohen out of there, at quarterback. He's not it. I know he's a Notre Dame guy, but he's yeah, it's hard to watch him play football. Glad they brought in Tom Flacco. And I. they also have Stevie Scott the third as their running back, so they probably need to grab another guy. But they have a decent defense. I like their uniforms, but – uh, I honestly, me and Caden can safely say this: we're meant to show those guys all the way because of Case Cookus. He's a, he's probably a fan favorite uh, automatically, if you will. Trevor, I, I think you're going to have to wait uh, quite a while before you know what the actual rosters are going to be because there's so many people coming in and out that uh, I would think that uh, before they really settle down and say, well, this is the roster we're going to start to see. What's the opening day? What's opening day? Opening day is a little over 60 days away. Official rosters are actually out. Transactions, trades, and releases are consistently going on, like you said. But we do get the good idea. We get the gist of what teams are going to look like, um, especially if you've been watching spring ball, XFL ball from 2020 to last year, uh, or the USFL's two seasons. You should know these guys. And if you're new to this league, the cool thing about it is you're going to see guys, oh, wow, he got drafted, and where did he go? But, you know, look at him here, still trying to play his dream, or guys still trying to prove themselves. A guy I want everyone in, on the show and anyone listening to look out for is a linebacker on the Stallions. His name is Kayaba Tazino, just a complete dog. I love watching him play. Probably one of my favorite football players, period. Um, and, and you get him at this level, I think it's a treat. You know, if you love football, you should love this. Roger? Well, you know, when you were talking about the coaches in the uh, USFL, uh, one of the great ones, uh, Jim Morris Sr., won the championships with the uh, Philadelphia Baltimore Stars. But, uh, you know, you see him now uh, in commercials uh, in all these Well, they're the original commercial. They're the original uh, uh, feedback from the, about going to the championship. And uh, that, they were the original USFL commercials when he was the coach there. Oh, were they the original? Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, you know, that's right. Oh, yeah, that's I just go ahead. No, I, I just want to yeah. follow up. Go, go ahead, Don. No, I, I just no, that was all. We I, mean, I, I mean, I recognized it right away when he came I, on. 
that these were excerpts from the commercials that he did, you know, years ago. I didn't even realize that. I one of the things I meant to I wanted to say when Doug was there and and Trevor, uh, this uh, just is affects football. Period. Uh, when he was talking about uh, Tre- uh, you know Kelsey Travis Kelsey, the 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 uh, imp- increase in women viewership on the Chiefs because of Taylor Swift was unbelievable. The the I think it was like seven percent, something like that. And so you know you might not like Travis Kelsey and some of the stuff. But I'll tell you what, that Taylor Swift impact affected the TV ratings of the National Football League with women. That's what I, that was just my point I wanted to make. I, I thought it was just Not, a, a very uh, interesting fact. Um, the big story in the New York Post this week, too, it meant $3.5 million in uh, different uh, uh, products that they touched on during the course of this whole thing. Just touched on them. They didn't commercialize. They just touched on them, and they've had $3.5 million for Unbelievable. Uh, you know, I saw that uh, Fox is, what, a 50% owner in the new venture, Trevor? Is, am I right about that? Yeah, Fox and ESPN are going to be double-heading this thing. NBC is out. Thank God. I know it does really good for the NFL, but it was – weighing down spring football they just they put it on peacock they put it on um oh god they put it on another usa and usa is terrible i mean you you don't draw any crowd there so i'm glad they're going with the big dogs um that are predominantly sports yeah usa used to be a good network they use it for uh, the olympics obviously they have to use all their networks uh, but I mean, I'll never spend a cent to buy Peacock. I can tell you that. But <laughs> I, I just I know Fox is uh, is really uh, has an interest. Uh, well, I mean, they're a fifty percent owner uh, of of the league, and uh, I, I know they'll do a great job. And I think when you look at the uh, the two championship games uh, presentations, I mean, Fox just has it all over the other networks. Uh, including ESPN, the way they present it and uh, the different uh, angles and technology they use. I see they had a, um, um, what do you call it, Um, the drone. And and they don't have to use a camera anymore on the cables. They had a drone flying around the the stadium. So uh, technology changes, and I I know they're going to do some, uh, of the te- uh, of uh, test right in this uh, league, the NFLs partnered with them on some te- uh, different uh, new uh, ideas. Tell talk about that, Trevor. Well, I know that there was talks about it essentially being a G League of sorts for the NFL, so a farming system, mm-hmm. which honestly all spring leagues already were. Um, if you showed that you have the capability to at least play with NFL caliber players. They're going to find you and bring you up. Um, but this will be a structured thing, I'm sure. But I, I don't know if there's going to be anything done in the first season. It might take, a, you know, a year or so into this whole thing to be able to safely, you know, see that kind of process, you know, flourish out. But um, I just think for the – 
the, the aspect of just the sport in general and for guys that, you know, might be aging out or just, like I said before, never got that proper chance. Uh, this will just be good for them to showcase their abilities, make some money, and still live out their dream. Um, it's just hopefully uh, the XFL decides to unionize or get a player union. Um, the USFL conference does for the USFL teams. You talked about Fox dressing it up. They weren't only better in production value, but they secured some security at least for their players. Um, with health insurance and stuff like that. With the XFL, it's a little bit more loose, and hopefully it get adjusted and uh, we get a little bit more updates on player pay, and hopefully that increases with the amount of money coming into this league. These guys deserve it. They should not be making, on average, you know, less than 80 grand a year when they're putting their bodies on the line, and NFL guys get paid what they do, obviously, because it's a monopoly. But I, I do believe that the player – pay should be a discussion at some point. I'll, I'd love to come back on and talk about that. But, no, I'm definitely excited about this league. I think Fox and ESPN will do a great job. I just hope that, you know, like we said, Fox kind of does the creativity aspect of it, the production, and uh, they, they get their hands on that more than ESPN because it's always – it seems like a cleaner product. Right, it's two minutes right. after nine. I don't know where we stand on this uh, – where, where we stand on this interview. I was – are we? Do we wrap up, Frank? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> maybe, maybe we wrapped up. <laughs> he, he didn't say anything. No, he didn't say anything. He said that uh, we had thirteen minutes. So, well, anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll say good night to you, Mr. Henderson. You have a good week. God bless. Be safe. Trevor, take care. We'll look forward to talking to you. I'm really yes, I'm loving the more I read about this new league. Awesome. Thank take you care, my so boy. for having me on. Always a pleasure, Trevor. Take care. Roger, take uh, care. Frank, we're closing it out, care. and uh, thanks to all our guests yes. earlier tonight. We'll talk to you a little bit later on. Take care. Bye. Wonderful show. Take care. Ladies and gentlemen, this program is brought to you each and every night of the week in grateful appreciation to the men and women of the United States Armed Forces and Women Police and Fire Services. When you're out there and you see somebody in uniform, please let them know that, that uh, you know they're there. Not everybody in uniform is a bad guy. These programs are dedicated to those who have lost their lives in the line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman Jeffrey Colcap, Patrolman David Curtis, Patrolman Jeffrey Yazowitz, Detective Randy Bell, Detective Ricky Ricky Childers, Sergeant Thomas Batinger, San Diego Officer Mike Hendler, Sergeant Tom Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Department, Patrolman Charlie Connor, Tarpon Springs Police Department, Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department, Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department, Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Police Department, Sergeant Chris Levake, Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department, Patrolman Anoffa Christian, Lakeland PD, Lieutenant Joe Zerba, Newcastle County Police, Patrolman Judge, Patrol Deputy Josh Meyer, Nassau County Sheriff's Department. Captain Matt Letourneau, Philadelphia Fire Department. Captain Rick, uh, Chris Leach, Bloomington Fire Department. Lieutenant R.S. Hope, Bloomington Fire Department. Lieutenant Jerry Fikas, Bloomington Fire Department. Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol. Trooper Kelsey Richards, Florida Highway Patrol. Chief Al Hogle, Longbow Key Police Department. Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department. Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, I'm sorry, Deputy Mike Hargrove. Pinellas County Sheriff's Department, 
Deputy Blaine Lane and Deputy Chris Meyer, Polk County Sheriff's Department. Sergeant Christopher Fitzgerald, Colton Sheriff's Department and Temple University Police Department. Ronald, Ronald Medeiros, uh, Philadelphia Police Department. My brothers and sisters, although you may be 10-7 at this point in time, at some time we'll be 10-10 at the table of the Lord. Until that time, may the roads rise up to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the rains fall softly on your fields and the sun shine lightly on your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your family always in the palm of his hand. Good night, God bless, and have a great week.